Welcome to Flower Hour. A podcast completely dedicated to bacon. I'm Amanda in Atlanta. And I'm Jeremiah in Sacramento. These recipes healed me. They allowed me to feel something more, desire something more. Creating can do that. Baking can do that. It holds a therapeutic power like nothing else. It's something that sustains my beating heart. Giving to others, giving to myself. The ability to bring happiness and invoke rich feeling in another being. The night and the story are equally as long, so let's begin. That was a beautiful quote from our guest, Talia Hose. Beautiful blog, Butter and Brioche. And we are so excited to have her on later in the episode. But first, Amanda, how are you? Hi, Jeremiah. Great to be with you today. Um, I'm doing well. How are you? I'm well as I'm well as well. I'm <laughs> well as well. Uh, so tell me, what have you been baking this week? Well, I baked Andrew's delicious vegan and gluten-free millionaire shortbread cookies. Um, I was very excited that he recommended them on last week's episode. And they were so much fun to make. Um, the base is made with ground nuts, dates, and some coconut oil. And then the filling is made with a lot more dates, more coconut oil, and some almond milk. And you just cook that all together, puree it, super easy. And then the top is a beautiful dark chocolate tempered um, crisp shell that is so nice to bite into. It sounds so unique. I've never had anything like that. And the date caramel has me totally intrigued. Oh, and the date caramel has maple syrup. So it's a really yummy, yummy, yummy combination. Oh, I guess that really flavor is cool. amazing. Yeah. How about you? What have you been baking? Uh, so today I made a batch of mini cupcakes that I've been really excited to make. You know how you get something in your brain and you're like, ah, oh, I've really got to make this. And I've just been waiting, waiting, waiting to make them come to life. And today was the day. So they are, the cake part is made with cacao and olive oil. So the the taste is a little different from just your run-of-the-mill chocolate cake. And then I topped it with a candied lemon buttercream. So I candied some lemons, chopped them up, put them into the buttercream with some lemon oil, and then topped them after they were, you know, dolloped with their frosting with some cacao nibs and a little tiny piece of the candied lemon. Um, And actually this came from somebody who was going to order a cake for their mother. And they said her two favorite flavors are chocolate and lemon. And they said, can those go together? And I thought, sure, why not? So they ended up ordering something different, but then I had to try the combination. I just couldn't help myself. (laughs) That sounds incredibly delicious, but let's talk about olive oil. So what type of olive oil did you use? Because they can definitely vary in their strength and spiciness. And I'd love to know where it was from. And then did you also, did you taste it with some chocolate to see if it would go well together? 
So that's a great, a lot of great questions and the olive oil, I'm glad you brought that up. So I used a lighter flavored olive oil. So it's not from the first press. It's not an extra virgin olive oil. Um, so the color, like you can even see it in the jar is lighter. So the flavor is a little more neutral. Um, but I didn't get a strong olive oil taste in the final bake and I'd kind of like to try it with extra virgin. So I'm going to do a few more runs at this before I actually type it up because it's one I definitely want to share. Um, but I don't, I'm, I'm a little concerned, super strong extra virgin might be a little too powerful. So I'm going to play around, but that's a great question. I went with a fairly neutral one this time and then... Uh, oh, as far as the flavor. So my thought was, you you do see candied lemon peels dipped in chocolate. So I was like, well, right. the flavor should work. And that really strong, I feel like when lemon is candied, it's almost astringent. And mm -hmm. then that earthy chocolate brings it down and makes it more palatable. So I was like, that really makes sense why they would dip it in chocolate. And you see chocolate and citrus together all the time, chocolate and yeah. orange especially. Yeah. And I just felt like it time for lemon to have a turn to play. So yeah, I kind of, before I frosted all the cupcakes, I did have a little taste test always, always. And I really like the way they go together. Very, um, they play nicely. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm glad because in a few Portuguese bakes, lemon and chocolate show up together and I love it. I love it too. Yeah, it's a fun combo. Orange can't have all the chocolate love, you know? Agreed, <laughs> agreed. <laughs> and I love the olive oil. I'm going to try that as well. What a good idea. It's an easy swap, you know? A lot of chocolate cakes, chocolate cupcakes, whatever, you know, has some oil in the mixture. And I feel like, why not play with the oils? Sometimes I swap in instead of a vegetable oil. I feel like most American recipes are written with vegetable oil, but... Why not throw in coconut oil and, in this case, olive oil? Um, I've used avocado oil, which has an unusual taste in the chocolate. Um, I haven't quite found. I haven't quite found the perfect other flavor that goes with the avocado and the chocolate. But I think there's something that could work. So yeah, we'll see more of that in the future. I had a quick idea about if you find an olive oil that's very strong, but you love it, maybe even use um, half of that strong olive oil and half vegetable oil so you, you can get that, that, that flavor, but maybe not being so strong. Just an idea if you're playing around. I've definitely done that in one of my recipes and, I, and it worked well. Yeah, I love that idea to cut it a little bit, just but still get the really nice flavor that you love. So, so smart as always. Um, well, speaking of smart... We have a brilliant guest today, and I'm so excited to be drawn into, I'm going to call it a wonderland. Her blog is a wonderland. Her Instagram feed is a wonderland. And I'm sure this conversation is going to be dreamy as well. If you're not familiar with Talia Ho, you need to get on this right away. Um, she's the author of Butter and Brioche, which is a beautiful blog, which has won two awards from Savoir Magazine. She's been featured um, on Food & Wine Magazine, Bake From Scratch Magazine, The Huffington Post, BuzzFeed, Food 52, The Kitchen, and the list really goes on and on. And I just can't wait to talk to her. Welcome, Talia, to Flower Hour. We're so happy to have you. Hi, thanks for having me, guys. <laughs> so happy to be here. And that we could do this. It feels like I've kind of known you both through Instagram forever. So, yeah. 
It's fun. Um, yeah, after clicking around and sending you lots of hearts and likes and comments yeah. to actually have the real deal here on the kind of on the phone, kind of uh, <laughs> on the radio. I never know what to call podcast, but here, <laughs> here with us in some sort of way. Um, well, thank you so much. And we're just going to jump right in if you're ready. We have lots mm -hmm. of questions and we really want to just be sucked into your world and the first thing that um i think the thing that actually made me discover you on instagram were probably your chocolate chip cookies so i was like we have really? to talk about this some yeah yeah <laughs> i just feel like they are the most perfect wonderful chocolate chip cookies and such a special recipe the spelt ones by the way are my most favorite um really yeah, yeah, they're absolutely my favorite. Even when people ask me for my own recipe, I send them straight to you because they're the best. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, but I just wanted to talk about those. Um... Cookies are my favorite thing to make because they're so easy and they come together so quickly and you don't, it's not like a layer cake where you have to spend so much time slaving over it. You can just quickly make like the dough and then chill it and then bake them off and have something really delicious. So yeah, that was kind of like my intention behind it. Um, but a good chocolate chip cookie recipe is so hard to come by. Like I've always kind of struggled to find one and then I just kind of was like, well, I'm just going to make my own. Um, yeah. Well, I love the recipe. I like the details that you give. I was telling Jeremiah earlier, I like how you'll say to use a wooden spoon or to stir it in this way. And I feel like the whole process is, is it's almost as enjoyable as the eating part, which is one thing mm -hmm. I really liked about the recipe. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I was curious just because I know you have a freezer stash, which is something I do too. <laughs> um, how often are you pulling out the chocolate chip cookies and, and having uh -huh. one? It's so bad. It's so bad. Um, I live between Brisbane and Sydney. So I have two freezer stashes full of cookies. Um, so, so I've got like everything in there. I've got, you know, the classics. I have the spelt chocolate chip cookies. I have um, like really weird oatmeal, sour cherry ones, ones with M&Ms, just like every kind of combination. Um, I think I've got like 120 in the freezer because I oh always make God. a big batch. Yeah, <laughs> I make a big batch and then I bake them off and then take a photo for Instagram. And then like, it's just me. I don't need like 36 cookies. So they all just end up in the freezer. And most nights, like I do end up baking at least one off. Yeah. Cause I think to end a night of chocolate chip cookies, something that's really really nice and relaxing and I can just like read a book and like make a tea and have a cookie. That's like, that's perfect. That is perfect. What a beautiful ritual to end the day. Yeah. So, <laughs> so decadent, lovely. All right. Yes. I'm taking notes. <laughs> Good. Good. Well, tell us how it all began. When and how did you start baking? Um, I never really, it was never a con like a conscious decision for me to, go into the food industry like I I come from a generation of European bakers like my grandparents all immigrants from different countries and so when they came to Australia they bought like brought their um heritage over with them 
So food was like a massive thing for us always. Our memories are pretty much centered around food and moments. Um, so, but then I moved away when I was young and I really lost all that. And I missed the food and that sense of like belonging and connection. Um, and then I, you know, I went to school, I went to law school, I um, went to university and I realized I didn't really know how to cook for myself and I was kind of missing out on everything that I had been raised with. So I just started to do that and it, you know, started to teach myself how to bake because I'm self-taught and then I decided to put it online and it became a blog. Wow. Can you talk more? I love how you said food is part of belonging and connection. Can you tell us more about what that means Mm -hmm. to you? So for me, my blog, Butter and Brioche, it's kind of a little bit about the food, but it's mostly about emotion and memories. I kind of feel like we eat with our minds just as much as our stomachs and our and our eyes too, I guess. But um, yeah, food is, food is connection. It's what unites us and brings people into our lives. And I didn't have that for a little bit and I was craving it. So I started to do it myself. I love that. I love that. It really resonates and rings true for, for us too. Yeah, for sure. It's very easy to connect with that, I think, as a baker, the idea of it being an emotional thing and it's not just something that you eat. It's definitely in your head and in your heart. Um, and I feel like even on your blog, the aesthetic, it's the visual part, and then also the words are such a poetic mm-hmm. place. And I was curious some about your style. Um, we recently spoke to a food stylist and she talked to us a lot about developing your own style. And I was curious if your style has in- evolved in any certain way, or did you have a very strategic idea of how you wanted it to be from the start? I had no idea, like no idea. And it was like yesterday I went onto my blog and I deleted like 45 old blog posts <laughs> because my style was just so bad and it's not in line with where I'm at anymore. And it's not necessarily the story I want to tell either. I, I went into this for the food. Like I didn't want to be a food photographer. I didn't want to be a stylist, but to be a blogger, you have to do that. So, um, my style has definitely evolved and it's still evolving. I've never been fully content with it. Like I'm kind of at a place now where I'm like, you know, this is okay. This is, you know, I lack it a little bit, but there's still so much room for improvement. I feel in what I do. Or maybe I'm just too harsh on myself, but, you know, it's a hard thing because there's so many different blogs out there. You have to be unique and different to everyone else but and have something really special. And I think that's a hard thing to find at the beginning, like what makes you different. How do you carve out that space for yourself that you're protecting that vision once you feel like you're, okay, I'm on the path that feels right to me. And obviously that's going to evolve as you evolve, Mm -hmm. but... How do you, does that make sense? How do you keep that sort of comparison chatter um, calm in your mind, but also you're able to look at other people's blogs and still be inspired? And do you know what I mean? I do know what you mean. And it's something that I'm always really conscious of because I, 
like I really started to change my aesthetic about four or five months ago. That's when I really feel like things got to a better place for me. And part of that was not scrolling through my Instagram feed as as bad as that is, not looking at other people's work, other people's blogs, but instead looking at people who are artists and creators and who interpret beauty in a different way. I feel like that's when I started to grow, when I wasn't looking in the food industry, I was looking outside of it. That's so interesting because I find um, when I look at, you know, I do a lot of cakes. When I look at cakes exclusively, the inspiration really dries up, which you think it would be the opposite. Like you'd look at cakes and feel really inspired, but I have to do the same. Like I need to look at painters, I need to look at designers and things like that to kind of keep it going or else it just, I don't know, like looking at the same as, is um, it doesn't cause a flourish. That's for sure. Yeah, for sure. Like I always wanted to be an artist. That's what I wanted to do. And I, it took me to university where I was doing a fashion degree as well. And then I dropped out of the fashion degree because I hated it and it wasn't art. And then I guess kind of like my food has become like my art in a way. Like art pretty much guides everything that I do and it's not always a conscious decision, but it's always there kind of guiding guiding me. Like what the eye finds aesthetic and beautiful is something that I'm always after. I'm speechless, like full of goosebumps right now. Um, but <laughs> yeah. the way you talk about all of this is it resonates so much with me and it is incredibly inspiring and, and beautiful. Um, thank you. Thank you. I just can only thank you for, for sharing this with Not us. Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> One thing I wanted to ask you is about inspiration is I was recently on a recipe research trip and I was incredibly inspired. And I think because I was only focusing on that one task and on the mm-hmm. on the task of traveling and what that felt like. But now that I'm home, I can feel myself fighting to uh, capture that in the midst of just my daily routine. Mm-hmm. How do you nurture and sustain your inspiration and your creativity through, mm-hmm. you know, when you're when, during your normal day to day routines? I don't have a routine like I used to be a really routine driven person. And that was mm-hmm. really the death of me and the death of my creativity. I um, I really had to throw all that out and come back to myself and block a lot of my relationships out and just, you know, sit in my room and work and read books and watch, you know, old cinema and kind of nurture what I have and not let anyone else take that from me. Um, and that's a hard thing to do too, especially with social media, because everybody always wants something from you. Um, yeah. So that's the way I kind of do it. I really have to go within myself and like bury within myself and I'm a Scorpio. So that's like what we do best is kind of like withdraw, (laughs) but yeah, it's really crucial to my creativity to be able to block everything out and just kind of like text my friends and be like okay I'm not going to talk to you for like a week and it's not personal I just like I'm on this train of thought and I and I need to pursue it well from a fellow Scorpio here <laughs> that's why I'm starting to go oh this is why I'm identifying so much with you yeah uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah it sounds you're definitely speaking my language um I'm curious because of 
bringing up social media, it's a very strange place. And I think it definitely has a role. I mean, personally, I really, it's a very strong love and hate relationship. How do you, without a routine, how do you find a balance or do you allow yourself just to get fully sucked in and then other times stay away? Like, how does that look in your life? I've never been able to live by halves. Like I do things intensely or not at all. So I'll either be all over the blog and all over social media or not at all. And I'll just drop off. Um, And that's not really a good way to be as like a businesswoman, but I mean, it's, um, it's important to me. Like, yeah, I don't feel like I can balance them both. If you know what I mean. I definitely do. And it makes sense to me. I feel like too, at least in my case, I feel like if I can go all in, it's genuine and it's passionate at that moment. I'm really, really there and really, really obsessed. And then if I'm not in the mood to be there, I try to just fully not. Um, so yeah, it, it totally makes sense to me, but it's interesting to hear that from a blogger. Cause I feel like in that world, it's very routine and like you need a post per week or two posts per week or whatever your rhythm is. So it's interesting to hear that perspective from a blogger you know well I started off like that I was kind of like looking to all these other bloggers and they were kind of posting two to three times a week and I was like well I have to do that too um and it took a really long time for me to get out of that mind frame because I wasn't posting quality I wasn't posting what I wanted to post I was posting for the sake of it So now I just post when I feel like it. I can post once a week. I will sometimes go two months without posting. And that's not, again, that's not a good habit to get into. And it's something I've consciously been trying to work against, being able to kind of get to a place where my audience knows what they expect of me. The whole routine thing is something that's, yeah, I'm super conscious of and I just, I'm working on it, you know? Absolutely. And while trying to balance it with that really authentic voice. So, so it's an interesting challenge. And I like to hear your thoughts on that. A hard thing too. Like the writing really takes a lot out of me. Um, and I'd post more if I didn't have to write. But I want that authenticity and that voice. And my voice is what separates me from absolutely everyone else. It's the only thing that I have that's unique. That's the way I feel about it. So, um, yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree with you more. What what struck me most too about your blog is all of the beautiful writing and the fact that you use all these quotes from literature or poetry. Um, it's really, really special and it really creates this world that I feel like when you are totally connected to the food you eat, to the location where it's made or where it's history, uh, um, I feel like I can have that whole experience mm. just reading your blog posts. Um, what are some of your favorite authors or pieces that you think bakers should know? Okay, well, everybody that I love is not in the food industry. So um, I really look to writers. My favorite writer is Anais Nin, um, this really great French feminist writer, Hélène Sixou, um, Marguerite Dudas, Clarice Lysbecker, David Lynch, Andre Tarkovsky, Fernando Pessoa. Like I could just go on, but those few I definitely gravitate to the most. Like I get the most out of their work. And sometimes I'll be reading like a piece of prose from Elaine and it'll be like, you know, I've written it with my own hand. So that's what I really look for, like myself and other writers and other people. Amazing. 
Amazing. <laughs> Jeremiah and I are both speechless. Yeah. Um, I'm just so inspired. I'm like, oh, yeah, so inspired. Well, it's definitely something that sets your blog apart, I think, is that intentional effort towards the writing. And it doesn't surprise me. It takes a lot out of you because you give so much of yourself. But the reader, just so you know, and, and you probably already know this, but the reader, we get so much from that gift that you give. And I think that's what makes it such a special place. Yeah. No, I do realize that. Like when I... um. Because I won, my blog has won awards and I remember being at the Severa Awards and winning both of them and kind of being like, well, why did I win? Because I didn't feel like at that stage my blog was that great in comparison to my competition. And someone told me like, it really is your voice and you need to be able to like push that and nurture it. Um, So yeah, my baking wasn't that great, but I think at the time, but my voices. Here's the thing that I love about all of this is we're it's if we're doing this in an artistic sense, uh, the the journey is finding your voice and finding the way to weave all these things together. And it just when you find that that path and that path will evolve and change, but it's like everything aligns and things will happen. Mm. Um, they, they might they might happen in their own timing but the, like i don't know what i got from what you just said is that when you when you were true to yourself and true to your voice then you were recognized for that and it didn't even matter you know what you thought about the baking it was it was the whole package but that all but the root of that is your voice and i feel like for anyone in an artistic endeavor um with blogging with baking when you find that in yourself things really start to open up for you and people the reciprocation from the world mm. kind of comes back at you in this meaningful way. So I, I love hearing your, your journey. For sure. Like when I first started, I was really looking towards other people and kind of going, well, what are they doing? What's their voice like? And um, kind of not really being true to who I am or the story I have to tell. And I think, that is such a big thing in blogging. It's about finding your voice, sticking to it, being able to refine it and not copying anyone else or looking to anyone else or, yeah, really finding it within you. And that's when the changes happen, definitely. Uh, when you talk about kind of um, taking the time for yourself so that you can be alone and have your own voice, I kind of get that sense from your pictures from when you're traveling and your posts from when you're traveling as well. Is that something else that you do to kind of nurture that part of yourself? When I'm traveling, I'm really driven by habit. Like I like to kind of go somewhere like say go to Paris and just stay put in Paris for like as long as I can and kind of become immersed in that lifestyle and lose myself to it and not feel the need to like run around and see all these other different places and all these other different countries and just be able to find inspiration within somewhere and be able to be still and to take it down and to write it down. Um, you know, like in Paris, like I have a routine, like I walk out of the apartment in the morning and I, you know, go down to, the boulangerie and like get a coffee and like pick up a pastry and then I walk around and I come back and I write about what I saw or I write about flavor um and 
in a lot of ways, like it's very withdrawn. Um, but you know, I kind of have to do it. What locations or places do you recommend for bakers to go? What are your favorite baker places? Even though I'm from Australia, I don't really know too much about Australian pastry. And I know that sounds awful, but I, when I'm here in Australia, I don't really like go out. I kind of bury into myself, but when I travel, it's a different story. So in Paris, I think my favorite was definitely hmm, Dupin. Sorry if I pronounce this wrong. Like my French is so bad. Like <laughs> Dupin Ed Ed. They have like the pistachio escargot. Um, mm. I also really loved. I think it's Pierre Hermé, and they have like the isafan, mm-hmm. the rose and raspberry, and the lychee, and all that kind of stuff. Um, but for me, it's not really like about finding like the perfect place. Like I can go to a really awful bakery and still find like inspiration <laughs> somewhere. Absolutely. I loved your, um, your blog post about all the things I didn't do in New Zealand. Yeah. <laughs> and it struck me as exactly the kind of vacation or traveling I really long to experience. Um, mm. And I really think there is an art to having... And a, a good vacation. And I think you're tapping on that just now. And can you talk about that for your listeners and how, how you had, you made this adventure for yourself by not being so structured or so planned, which many people think people I think do when they set out to yeah. have a vacation. Like it's, it's definitely a hard thing and it doesn't come easily. Like you really have to fight for getting lost and having adventure because we're not naturally inclined that way. I think most of society feels like they just need to, you know, go everywhere and see any, everything because you're only there for a short amount of time. But I've never gotten a lot out of doing that and rushing around. Um, so, yeah, I really had to, like, I really turned off social media and again, I withdrew and I kind of just, like I just was in the moment, which is something that I really haven't experienced before um, because I've always tried to like make an itinerary and structure it out and all of that. And it's always been rushed. And I feel like when I get home that I've kind of missed the best part. And that's just like being in the environment and finding part of yourself there and being able to like take it home with you, if that makes sense. Definitely. I feel like I need to travel with either of you guys at some point because I am really good at doing a lot of stuff, but I'm not really good at relaxing on vacation. Like I'll, I still set an alarm. I want to get up and then soak it all in as fast as I can, as much as I can. And listening to this, like just hearing about it makes me feel more relaxed, which I really, really love. Um, but I almost feel like I need like a, a guide that could force me into this experience because <laughs> it's just not natural um, for me at all. So it's very interesting to hear. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's kind of like what I wanted to do with the blog, just like the post, just like write down all the ways that I didn't end up doing things and trying to get not get people to do the same, but like kind of be like, you know, you don't have to run around and do all this stuff like you can just have as good as a trip just like being still and like 
making your own journey. Because I feel like that's a really big thing is like, especially with the nature of social media, everyone is kind of looking to everyone else. Like, where did this person go? Like, what did they eat? What photos did they get? And that really takes, for me, that takes a lot of the romanticism out. And it's no longer my trip. It's someone else's. Very true. I can definitely, definitely um, identify with that. Um, Okay, so shifting gears a little bit to baking, um, I'm curious, because I read in an interview that you gave that a lot of your baking inspiration comes from cravings. And I was curious just about how that process looks when you're writing a recipe and it starts from a craving. I just want to hear about this experience a little bit. I don't really know where my cravings begin and end. Like at the moment, I'm really obsessed with grapefruit. And my whole entire 22 years of life, I've never, ever liked grapefruit. Like I've always hated it. But like this week, I'm eating like three grapefruits a day. And I'm so in, like inspired to bake with grapefruit for some reason. So I don't really know how I get these cravings, but they just arrive and it hits me. And I'm like, how can I incorporate this into something? So I crave a lot of floral things like rose and orange blossom, um, which I find throughout my travels too. And um, I think as well, I crave things a lot from my childhood like European pastries and cakes and flavors. Like I remember growing up in the house always smelt like yeast because my grandparents would bake every day and there'd always be like fresh bread or um, like some kind of like Austrian pastry or cake. And um, so, yeah, I just, I think it subconsciously happens and it sneaks up on me and it hits me and then I need to outpour it. Do you have a specific food memory from your childhood that's very special to you? Oh, I do have a few. I think um, my grandmother is Russian. My grandfather is Austrian. My other grandmother is Irish and my grandfather is Chinese. So growing up, I had... Wow. Yeah, I'm a quarter of everything. So growing up, I kind of had this like really interesting mix of um, food and flavor so I think for me like my grandmother makes like kulich which is like a Russian Easter yeasted bread and she fills it with like saffron and a lot a lot of butter and then it has to rise for like so many hours and then the house just kind of like surrounds with this really magical smell that I've never been able to like recapture so that for me like the smell of that is something that I still really hold. And that's beautiful. It sounds like a wonderful aroma. I hope you can capture it at some point. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm curious with your collection of recipes, obviously none of the ones that you've taken the posts away, but are there any that just stand out that you think people really, really need to stop and make this something that you'd recommend for us? Oh, for sure. Like the, Cookies, for me, the two cookies are definitely the most popular. Um, and I think that they're, def- they're my favorite too, only because, you know, cookies are one of my favorite things to eat. Um, I think there's a mm, – I'm really trying to think back. <laughs> there's a Black Forest cake on there 
which is also pretty good and popular. And what else? I'm dying to make your pomelo and rose and honey meringue tarts because I have a bunch of pomelos right now. Really? I'm glad I didn't delete that one then. (laughs) 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 Yeah. Well, I always kind of feel like it's so funny. Like even though I posted like a week ago, I've already forgotten. Like I just kind of want to keep pushing myself onto doing better and being better and putting out recipes that are really in alignment, like alignment with like the kind of vision that I have for the blog and the trajectory that I want it to go. And so it's a difficult thing. Yeah. Forward looking though is I, I like that. And I try to keep that in my mind as well. And as I'm, as I'm creating, Another question is, who would you like to bake for? It could be anyone. And what would you bake? Oh, that's a really tough question. Can they be alive or dead? <laughs> or both? Either. Um, or both. <laughs> <laughs> both would be interesting, yeah. <laughs> who really inspires me? Probably um, Aeneas Nin. Even though she's gone, her writing really, really hits heavily for me. It's like when I'm reading her, I'm like reading myself and we're the same person because it's so uncanny. Um, And I love just to like meet her and get to be with her and like read her mind and also be able to use food as a way for that. So it's not necessarily like me going, okay, I have to bake this for someone else. It's like me using food as a way to form that connection. Um. Mm-hmm. As for what I would bake, I really don't know. Like, <laughs> it really depends mm-hmm. on so many factors, but it'd have to be something something French. At the moment, I'm really loving Illy Flottant or Paris yeah. Breast. It's also really good. But Illy Flottant, I think, is one of my favorite things. Uh, that's beautiful. Very, very romantic. So, Talia, I just had to tell you um, at the start, I had to talk about the cookies because those have become so important to me, your recipe. But then also, um, we've talked a lot about your writing. And one of the things you wrote in your about section on butter and brioche, um, just a tiny quote of it is, there's a beauty in the brokenness in imperfection. And I actually, when I read that, I typed it into my phone and I just had to tell you this. Um, And just kind of while I have you semi in person and tell you thank you for that, because I tend to be a perfectionist and little quotes like that are so helpful. And I, it's true. I totally agree with it, but sometimes I need the words to kind of remind me. And even as I see your pictures in Instagram, I can see that sort of theme where you have a torn cookie or something and it is so beautiful and I just wanted to tell you thank you. I think it's a unique approach. And um, with thanking you to come on the podcast, just also thank you for the space that you've created. That's really sweet. Thank you. I really appreciate that. You know, not everybody gets it. So I think it's always nice to hear that confirmation that, you know, what I'm doing and what I'm writing about is, you know, well-received and not lost because it's really important to me too, just to be able to get it out there and be able to voice what I'm going through because I'm not trying to create like a sterile space. Like I really want it to be lived in and for my readers to envision themselves living in it too. 
Well, that's definitely the case. I think that kind of um, like the beauty and the imperfection, that idea, it breathes such acceptance, which is what everyone needs. And it's, it's a really special thing. So thank you. Of course. Thank you so much for spending this time with us and being such an inspiration. And you will always have our support and our love. So thank Thank you again. Thank you guys so much for having me. It's been good. Be sure to subscribe to Flower Hour on iTunes or SoundCloud. And if you're enjoying your time with us, leave us a review. We'd appreciate it.